You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode. This time we have Darren back, and we are going to be looking at Angels in America. Very interesting, heartbreaking story, and it was based off a play that I hadn't heard about until the HBO miniseries came out uh, back in the early 2000s, and I then went back and did some research and learned about it, but I had never seen. But this was just breathtaking, and it's just amazing to watch the characterizations, and it is pretty awesome to see. I definitely think it's going to be a good conversation, and we're actually going to be doing this as a little bit of a different type of episode. We're only going to be talking about the first half of the series tonight, and then in a couple of days, we're going to actually put out a second episode with the, the final part of this. So, you know, that way we don't do a four-hour episode of Earth Station One. We thought it'd be safer that way. You know, the man who lived through this era who's joining me, you know, we know all about, you know, the 80s and the early 90s and what a lot of people went through and the scare of AIDS. And, you know, it was just really interesting. Let's say hey to Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. Yeah, this is not going to be a fun, happy-go-lucky episode, I don't think. Well, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be all doom and gloom. Obviously, the topics that uh, we're going to bring up with in Angels of America, some of them are, are kind of tough, um, and they should be. Um, but it'll be great to talk about, certainly with, uh, you know, Darren and Mary, who, uh, you know, the Rainbow Room is always a safe place. You know, I mean, here it is, Pride Month. And uh, we definitely want to let everybody know out there that uh, we are a LGBT ally. Oh, very much um, so. Happy Pride Month, folks. Absolutely. Um, uh, but, you know, and so one of the things that we decided to do this month, uh, talking over with uh, Mary and Darren, and, and we'll talk about this more, you know, when we when we get to the topic. But, but um, you know, we wanted to sort of not celebrate, but um, this year is also the 40th anniversary of uh, when AIDS was actually clinically discovered. So, um, you know, uh, a, a way to combine that and, and the way to sort of talk about it was to talk about this wonderful series that was on HBO, this wonderful play that uh, that beautifully uh, addressed the situation, uh, both good and bad, um, and, um, and and very dramatically. And a lot of talented people were involved. So it's going to be, uh, I think, a great way to to sort of honor that and, and, and sort of talk about that time period, which for a lot of people is still not over. No, it isn't. And, you know, many people think, you know, AIDS is not, you know, brought up all that much anymore. But it's still very prevalent in a lot of communities. And, you know, I, I had friends of mine who were not were not involved with the, the gay community and they tested HIV positive because of blood transfusions. And, you know, so, cause they were sick in the hospital, they have kidney issues. And so it was just 
really, really, you know. So there's a lot of ways and there's a lot of things to talk about it. And there are a lot of places where you can talk if you need to. There's counselors and such for you to talk to and to learn more about it if you if you want to. So please, you know, definitely check this all out. This is also not an infomercial, but it's way to inform you also. So, you know, we want to, you know, just not entertain we want to educate so it's it's an interesting way to put it but you know that's just the way we do it so want to definitely thank you guys for joining us we got a great show for you but we also want to thank our listeners out there of course and if you do have any comments on this at all please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com we definitely would love to hear from you guys and as always we you know please you know subscribe leave feedback yada 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 please We'd love to hear from you guys. You know, it's always a great way for you to get in touch with us and, you know, us to hear from you. So as we always like to say, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, you know, we're, we are everywhere. So please definitely check us out. Also want to give a big shout out to our patrons. Want to give a big thank you to Michelle Phillips, Eric Paul Johnson, Jen Adams, Kevin Cafferty, Christine Eldridge, Matt Sweatman. Kevin Rabner, Elizabeth Laney, and many others who have been helping to support the Earth Station One podcast and the ESO Network with the ESO Network Patreon. And for as little as a dollar a month, you too can help support the ESO Network. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network, and we do thank you from the bottom of our hearts. With that also being said, let's say howdy to our big sponsor for this week. Of course, who are we talking about? Tofosi Optical, of course. And Tofosi Optical has their brand new line of dirt biking glasses. That's right. Biking glasses, which are great to help protect your eyes from dirt, from bugs, from sun, from, you know, you name it that can be thrown at you, water even, you know, rain, mud, gross, ugh. you know, if you're off, you know, doing the biking in the, in the, you know, woods and everything, you know, this is great to help protect you. And Tifosi Optics has a huge range of it. And for, you know, as a way of saying thank you, you can get 10% off your whole order, just not one item your whole order. So if you want to get a couple different pairs of glasses, please check them out at tofosioptics.com and put in the coupon code EarthStation1. People have been doing it. We've been seeing. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners who have been purchasing from Tofosi. And we thank you so much. Thanks for Tofosi Optics. You get some great glasses. So definitely check it out. Tofosioptics.com. And now we're here with our new friend, Sarah Bradford. Welcome to EarthStation1. Hi, thanks so much for having me here. Yes, welcome to the station. For those people who may not be familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, um, where do I start? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a mom and a wife, um, and I um, do a lot of autism advocacy. I have three children with autism, as well as a husband on the spectrum. So I have a lot of great perspectives as far as that go. Um, I am an author of seven children's books that relate to special needs, and I do a lot of community work. I'm on the Autism Council of Utah, and um, yeah, a lot of projects going on, and <laughs> did I forget anything? Oh, yeah. I'm a <laughs> I, I, I do a don't I? Uh, the S.J. Childs Show. S.J. Childs is my head name, my author name, so, oh, right? So many things. Yeah. Um, yeah, really great. <laughs> the fact that you can do all of that and still, you know, be a parent is amazing into its of itself. 
Um, oh, thanks. Um, talking about your, your work with autism, because I do, I want to get right into that because I think it's actually like just amazing work that you do. Um, how, was it something that you were involved with or how did you get involved with that? Was it something that you were familiar with? Like when you were younger or. No, it's really interesting. In fact, um, I didn't know anything about autism prior to having my first biological child who is 11 now. He was diagnosed when he was 16 months old, so quite early, and he showed signs that, you know, I had never experienced before with a child, and I have a stepdaughter who is 21, so I have had raised her for quite some time, and and so, but, you know, we hadn't had our, our own child together, and so we had just thought, oh my gosh, this he is so quiet, and he's just like this perfect little baby. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but the quietness stayed around till four or so. So that that was a little too long of waiting. Um, yeah. So when he was 16 months, he was diagnosed and we uh, learned early on that, you know, he needed early intervention, which was great. They uh, turned around and showed us kind of the steps that we needed to take in our home to help him as well which was exactly what was needed, you know, at the time. Um, My husband, like I said, he is also on the spectrum. We didn't know this though at the time. It wasn't until about the last five years. So we can get to that in a minute. But (laughs) (laughs) when I found out about my son, I just, um, I have a history of, uh, I was a paralegal and I just wanted to find out why, how all of the answers, you know, I could. And so I just really started to do so much research on autism. And I found out a lot about um, diet, a lot about um, environment and, you know, kind of um, perspective, if you will, and what kind of um, perspective I needed to give my child rather than his diagnosis. Um, And that's really hard for some parents to do. I think that a lot of times our world still struggles in the area of language and um, diagnoses and things like that. So yeah, it's, um, wasn't an easy feat, you know, 10 years ago because there wasn't as much available. Um, but we really kind of forged our way and, and found things that worked for our family and yeah, we made it successful, I guess. And, you know, we have our struggles and, uh, our son, like I said, he's 11. He has um, a photographic memory, which he started displaying very, very early on. One, two, three, he was reading, writing, and um, repeating, or not really repeating, but writing things he would see out in the world. <laughs> and so we we knew that this was coming into play. Uh, and so that was, of course, fascinating. And um, a- along that same time that he was diagnosed, I was pregnant with my second biological child. And so, yeah, it was, you know, it was scary. Like you, when, especially learning about autism, not knowing kind of why that it, you know, was genetic and that, um, yeah, you, if you, when you don't know, you don't know, you just fear runs your mind and you just did you, did you find that there was a lot of misinformation out there a lot it was difficult to get accurate information a lot of things weren't very helpful was it was it a challenge just getting assistance that you needed 
Yeah, definitely. At the at the beginning, I would say it was because we didn't know, you know, nobody in our area, which is in Salt Lake Valley, had dealt with the child that had such exceptional high um, academic skills, but such low functioning life skills. And it was through, he went to a few preschools and kindergarten where they had wonderful programs and he was excelling. Um, and then everything changed in first grade and they sent him to a new school. They were, they wanted to put him in third grade because he was so high up in in his academics, but they weren't giving him the understanding that he was still at a sixth grade level, you know, mentally and socially barely even at that. And so to be with nine-year-olds, it was just terrifying for him. And it, he left the school in the first day and someone found him out on the street, um, brought him back to the school. We obviously, you know, took him out of school right away because it just wasn't going to be a fit for him. We knew right away. And it's been kind of on and off trying to find programs that work for him mostly just homeschool. <laughs> That's what we found <laughs> we could work with the most. So yeah, it, it's been, it's been really a struggle. Um, as far as services go, we have had therapy um, in our home and he's had great therapists. He's had not such great therapists and you really have to just find what works for your family. You know, don't um, just accept what the first thing that comes along and say, oh, this is all we can, you know, this is all that we can have or whatever, because it's just not the case. Like it's really hard to find a fit for a unique child. So yeah, it's definitely, I see now as I'm, you know, an advocate, I, I do run a Facebook um, group called autism advocate support group. And, um, one of the other things, right. (laughs) And, uh, in that I, and now I'm seeing, you know, in our community, there's so many more schools, there's so much more in resources. So yeah, time to maybe after the dust settles with the pandemic and everything, possibly in the next year or two, maybe think about going back to a brick and mortar school. But for now, um, yeah, he, just in the last few weeks has told us that he now knows over 109 languages. Uh, I didn't even know there were that many languages. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he studies Google Translate on a regular basis. He's normally on there just uh, figuring things out and ask, you know, going in and in and out. And we find random, you know, Google notes has, you you can go in, oh my gosh, you should see my Google notes. It's the craziest. <laughs> I'm probably FBI, CIA, somebody's going to be coming and knocking at my door one of these days. <laughs> like, why are there so many languages? <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he's a little mathematician linguist. Yeah. So it, it's been interesting, you know, to, to have that at home, to have that experience. I've, I've obviously, um, received quite a bit of knowledge myself through through him. So <laughs> he's taught me a lot. <laughs> awesome. And so let me let me ask you about the origin story of SJ Childs. What uh why uh you know what what are you trying to accomplish with the books and the podcast? What is your main goal there? 
Well, um, SG Childs was an idea. I wrote a children's book for my daughter. Um, both me and my children have um, an outer ear microtia. It's called, we just have really little ears. And so I wanted to give her a sense that, you know, being out in the world, it doesn't matter what we look like. Being a good person and having, um, you know, uh, good friendships and communication with people. That's what it, you need to focus on and being proud of who you are and making, you know, right decisions. And so I, I wrote this little book and people just are in my family and friends said, Oh, this is great. You need to write some more, what, you know, write some more. And so I decided, okay. And I just dove right in and wrote seven books. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> course, I, one I for wrote, every day. Exactly. I actually have about five more that are just sitting on paper, you know, that need to be put together all correctly. And um, that'll happen someday. So lots of exciting things to come. But it really, um, it really just started to make a difference just in my neighborhood, in my friends, you know, my kids' friends. And I started reading the books to them to see, kind of doing my little beta groups with the kids in the neighborhood to see what they would think. And they loved them. They asked me to write books about them because Aww. the books were about my kids. And so, yeah, it was really, it was really a great experience. And I was able to, um, you know, I self-published them through Amazon. I had actually sent uh, dozens and dozens of publishers the books and nobody was interested. And so I self-published them. I said, this is really important information. And now I'm even creating a program for the summer um, called the Neuroscience in the classroom seminar. And I'm creating a reading program that involves inclusion for the general education and special needs peers to come together. Because not only does that give them social interaction, but it gives the general education the opportunity to learn about the special needs peers and support them. Um, because a little bit of knowledge turns fear into understanding. Absolutely. Yeah. I would think just as important as, as education and information and assistance to those who are directly affected by, uh, with autism, I would imagine just the general public making them more aware um, because there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things. I mean, I must admit, there's a lot of things I don't know, um, you know, as far as, as far as that goes. And I imagine uh, education is, is, it can't be, it, it's not a bad thing, right? Because it's, it's going to help everybody. Yeah, definitely. And children's books are wonderful. They're bright, they're colorful, they're large print, they're fun for the kids to read. And in the back of the book, there's a question and answer so that they can get the facts, that they can get their, you know, real questions about what is a chromosome? Why does, you know, Down syndrome, why does that matter? Um, you, you, we can even bring science into it a little bit with that. You know, we can really include a lot of a lot of ways to include kids to learn about themselves, support each other. And yeah, it's really um, just such a positive thing. And I'm, I'm so excited and proud about it. <laughs> and you should be. And you should be. Um, yeah. And just real quick, tell us a little bit about the podcast. That is an extension, I would imagine. Yeah. So doing podcasts, just other people's, you know, being a guest on so many other podcasts, promoting the books, just promoting the work. I found that it was just a lot of fun. And somebody gave me the idea, hey, you should do a podcast. And I thought, oh huh, 
okay, well, I'll see what that's like. And I'm about 60 interviews in and I love it. (laughs) So it's fantastic. I I didn't realize this was such a great medium to tell my stories, to connect with people. Um, So yeah, I absolutely love it. The SJ Child Show. And our kind of mission is bringing education and resources to families. Um, so yeah, I, I think I said that wrong. I don't even know my own mission statement. Bringing value to families through education and resources. There we go. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not right. <laughs> Too funny. But yeah, it, it's been just um, an awesome experience. And I talk a lot about mental health on our show, um, but I do do some fun things like um, some artists with autism or you know some unique experiences I had um, just, yeah, so many people, so many different genres and experiences. So it's incredible as you guys know, exactly. So, uh, um, before we get to the geek seat, cause I know it's waiting, uh, it is hungry. Um, but I, I just have to ask you, you mentioned your, your husband, uh, discovering that he's on the scale fairly recently. Is it, is it common for people to not know, uh, you know, that that is something that they have? I think so. I think it's going to be a little bit more prevalent in our future that people are going to be discovering that they are also um, probably somewhere on the spectrum. I think that it uh, encompasses a lot of uh, mental health. And uh, I think that it's just a new way of thinking. I think that hopefully the, you know, the world will start embracing it as um, an ability and a way of thinking rather than a disability and a disorder. So that's my hope. Very nice. Very nice. Well put. Well put. Thank well, you. Mike, I, I think I think she's ready. She's really um, like happy. So I, I don't know um, how well this is going to go, but <laughs> she's happy now. But many people have ended this in tears. Just remember, that. <laughs> you know, so, you know, tears of so, joy, you know, right? No, just tears <laughs> of joy that they made it through the geeks. Yeah, yeah that's right. Right. believe that's right. that. Yeah, yeah that's right. But that's what we'll have her believing for right now. It's okay. You know, she'll be okay. You know, I, I have a feeling Sarah's going to knock this out of the ballpark for us. I really, I have no doubt about it at all. Fingers are crossed. And so let's get started with the geek seat. Sarah, are you ready for your first question I'm ready. in the geek seat? I'm ready. All right, Sarah. What was your favorite geek out moment? Okay, I would say probably um, doing all that research for autism, right? I I get involved in my computer and I can't let go. Um, I have to give a second ra- a second thing because I just thought of something else. When I had to learn how to format my books, oh my gosh, I think I spent more time banging my head on the screen and keyboard than any time ever before. Yeah. Oh, I used to do that using, you know, PageMaker, Quark Express, or, you know, Adobe. It's just like, ah! I know they're probably yeah. listening, but working with Amazon and uh, whether it was CreateSpace or KDP can sometimes really test your patience. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> I totally could see that. You know, definitely. That almost leads into your next question. So what is your most disappointing geek out moment? Um, probably all of those publishers not seeing the importance and the, you know, how it's such an important topic and it's great for kids and, you know, one third of the population is kids and they're all of our future. So we need to take advantage of that. Well, exactly. And, you know, it's so important 
for them to have to, you know, be able to have, you know, the ADA and all the different, um, you know, help because there's tons of help out there, but it's just a lot of people don't even know about it yeah, either, exactly. which is great that you're putting it out there, Thank which you. is pretty awesome. So that's pretty cool. What geeks you out the most? Well, I would definitely, yeah, yeah, it's just, I'm just an autism geek. That's all there is to it. It's all things autism. I joke about that a lot. My family is all things autism. And <laughs> so I, you know, I even think that I joke with him, like, where am I on the spectrum? Like, where's my spot to be? Like, uh, you guys have a special seat? Like, yeah, it's pretty funny. You could be honorary autistic. It's okay. That's a, I like it. <laughs> What turns your geek off? Um, hmm. Dogs. Walks with the dogs. Really? Yeah, I would say so. I would say I can just get... I, I love walking with my dogs. <laughs> and I, right. I, so I do it a lot sometimes. I don't do it enough sometimes. You know, it's not... I'm not consistent, unfortunately. But, yeah, it just brings me a lot of peace. I totally understand that. That totally makes sense. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Mm. Gosh. Told you these interesting questions. They're getting a little harder as we go along. I like just... that. Yeah, definitely. Fictional character. Gosh, I, I mean, I guess I should just go with what my head said the first off, right? And, and that is Rapunzel because I also have long golden hair so that was always my you know my childhood favorite <laughs> oh exactly and maybe we were and both were locked like... in a tower forever and wasn't able to discover our own truth until later you know yeah mm -hmm. and both had fair princes rescue you <laughs> there you go the castle. exactly there you go <laughs> especially uh, with this new cartoon app going around <laughs> mm -hmm. I've confirmed oh exactly it. definitely a prince <laughs> i know that is awesome. What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Mm, I guess that would have to be... Hmm. Oh, gosh, that's a really tricky one. I, I, we never... try to keep you on your toes on this one, you know? I like that. I guess... Ooh, who would I not want to meet? Well... I just... I'm drawing a blank. I can't even tell you. Um, yeah, uh, Barbie. I wouldn't want to meet Barbie, I guess. <laughs> oh. oh, with those proportions, I'd be scared as hell. I don't think we could have a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Hmm. Well, I would have to say... Oh my gosh. I'm like I like tangled in Rapunzel apparently. But when my when my son was a little younger, he would always scream, "You're not leaving this tower ever." So I think that would be my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that is awesome. I love it. That is awesome. <laughs> what is your ideal geek occupation? Hmm. I would say, um, 
wine uh, what are they called sommeliers <laughs> that would be maybe my that would be it if i could choose oh that's awesome <laughs> i love it that's very good taste thank you what geek occupation would you not like to do um anything that had to deal with poop probably because you know i have i've dealt enough with that in my day <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> That's almost universal. I guess, right? Except for that Mike guy that did the hard job, whatever his tough jobs are. Oh, tough. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Good old Mike Rowe. Oh, poor yeah, guy yeah. with his dirty jobs. Oh, that's yeah. funny. That is awesome. All right, Sarah, are you ready for your final question? The geeks. I'm ready. All right. Oh. Sarah Bradford, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? <sighs> wow. I guess I would have to say a spaceship a spaceship ride would would take top top seat. Yeah. That would happen. Okay. I think ninety nine percent of our audience probably agrees with you on that. <laughs> which is yeah, pretty cool. I, I, Got to go with intuition, you know, whichever vision pops in my head first. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> Is there a certain spaceship you want to be on? I don't know. I just any... saw the Jetsons a little. I mean, that was exciting. We still don't have those fancy things where we could just put, you know, our hand under and get our favorite meal. Like <laughs> where that's that's necessary. I need a, a coffee machine that comes with my latte pre-made when I get there. So yeah, that's what I'd be interested in. <laughs> no, I could, I could see that, but you know, that's what they have Starbucks for. So oh, there you go. Then I have to, yeah, we, that's a whole nother conversation of, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But our friends also at Curry also makes it a little more easier for your, getting that's your coffee pretty true. quickly. I guess I'm just a coffee snob, to be honest with you. And so I just make my own espresso with cream and sugar at home. So it's, you know, just. There's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> and it makes me respect you even more. Because <laughs> I've got some great news for you, Sarah. Woo You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Excellent. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth (laughs) $31.20. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, that's more than I had in my wallet today, so I appreciate (laughs) it. As we we tell people, uh, it is station currency. The closer you get to Earth, the less in value it it is. But but it has been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. For those people who want to find out more about your podcast, your books, find out more about your cause where should they go definitely um you're welcome to just google sj childs or you can jump over to our website sjchilds.org you can find all of the books there the podcasts me on other people podcasts and yeah all kinds of fun information there's a store on the website and um always fundraisers for autism going on so please feel free to share Awesome, Thank you guys awesome. so we'll much. Definitely have wow. a, the the uh, link to that in our show notes so that people can check you out. So thank you so much for being on the show and, and thank you again for, for all the work that you're doing. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. 
Not a problem, Sarah. Thank you, as always. I appreciate it. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back with Angels in America. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I had a chance to go to the theater this past weekend and see Lin-Manuel Miranda's new big screen musical, In the Heights. And I absolutely loved it. This movie was fun, feel good, wonderful songs, wonderful acting and choreography. Just a great time at the movies. I was a little disappointed to see that its box office came in a little bit lower than expected. And I wanted to dig in a little bit why I think this might be. This movie got wonderful reviews and is getting great buzz, so I absolutely recommend it. It was also available on streaming, so I'd be curious to see what those streaming numbers were, how many people opted to watch it at home versus in the theater. And I'm curious to see what kind of trends will emerge as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. If people are going to treat theaters as more of a place to see big budget franchise blockbusters like Black Widow and then smaller movies that aren't part of an action adventure franchise like In the Heights will say we're going to stay home and stream that. So I think that this was an interesting movie to see post-COVID how it performed and then when Black Widow comes out we'll see a little bit more kind of what public trends are going to be. Speaking of big budget franchises. Loki premiered on Disney Plus and was really great. I really enjoyed it. I was hoping it would be kind of trippy and mysterious like WandaVision and it definitely is filling that same kind of slot in terms of genre but it brings its own kind of feel too. I love kind of the weird retroness of the time variance authority and the fact that I have no idea where this story is going. So I'm going to be looking forward to tuning in every week to see what they're doing with this. I am just so impressed with how Disney Plus has been using these shows to expand our favorite franchises. I was kind of wondering, oh man, is the TV show format going to make it seem a little bit smaller, less epic when it comes to Star Wars or the MCU? But All these shows so far have been excellent, wonderful production values, great storytelling and acting. So I'm really excited to see Disney Plus shows coexist alongside the movies in the theater. Just goes to show you that there are many ways to tell a story. Sometimes something may work better in a film. Other times may work better in a longer format series or miniseries. So hopefully there's lots more of these on the way. I know I'm definitely looking forward to it. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we host the Watchathon of Rassilon. A podcast where we watch every episode of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. It's like an idiot's guide to Doctor Who. And where are the idiots? The Watchathon of Rassilon, a Doctor Who podcast made by idiots. And a proud member of the ESO Network. Look up. Look up. Are you one of those follow me to the other side voices? No, I am no nightbird. I am a messenger. What? Tell me. Chaos, baby. Legion number one. AIDS is what homosexuals have. I have liver cancer. 
You can call it any damn thing you want, Roy. But what it boils down to, you have AIDS. Why are you dressed like that? You don't like it? Nurses are supposed to wear white. Doctors are supposed to be at home in Westchester, asleep. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sick friend. Ask yourself what it was you were running from. It's about time you did. And what are you running from now? You should never have married me. You have all these secrets and lies. It's the hardest thing, forgiveness. Maybe that's where love and justice finally meet. The shit's really hit the fan, huh, Roy? The fun's just started. I'm not safe here, I see. Weird stuff happens. <laughs> In this world, there's a kind of painful progress. Longing for what we've left behind and dreaming ahead. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Rainbow Room. We're going to do something very special. Hey, it's Pride Month. that moment in time when all your companies want to get your money because they're slapping rainbow stickers on everything in their stores. It's pretty hilarious nowadays. Oh, how many pop figures now have rainbow versions of all <laughs> the think, characters? I think about 85. I think there's 85 rainbow pops. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm thinking it's about that. Before, it used to be they would put the colors slightly out of order, you know, so they could get away with, well, it's rainbow-like, <laughs> but it's rainbow. not the gay rainbow flag. And now it's like, it's rainbows everywhere. Yeah all the yeah. time for june pride has become the new christmas season i think it wouldn't have taken them that long to figure out they could make money off us i mean well, well yeah considering it wasn't too long ago that corporations wouldn't even touch this with a, a rainbow with a 10-foot pole were you gonna say 10-foot pole yeah. i was gonna say 10-foot pole and then i thought okay just go for it just go for it <laughs> when you see a 10-foot pole you really should never mind hold on uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, we're we're starting off really well tonight, aren't we? So, so here we go. We are going to talk about um, a play. It's a two-parter, but we're going to talk about the HBO uh, miniseries version of this play. It's called Angels in America: A Gay Fantasia on. <laughs> I think it's a gay fantasia on modern themes or modern American themes is the full title. Hang on a second. I want to get my notes here. National themes. National themes. Thank you, Michael. Um, which is why this will never be taught in schools. Because <laughs> Angels in America is like, oh, it's a good Christian play. Well, not really um, a Christian play. Um, this is a slice of life play that follows several characters in 1985, which was a very tumultuous time in the gay community because we, we were now in the full-blown AIDS virus um, epidemic people were getting it and they were dying very quickly from it um reagan had been reelected again and the federal government was doing nothing about hiv um prevention wow that sounds or familiar. putting any money towards it <laughs> doesn't it though doesn't it but i think it was the fact that reagan got reelected that really made everyone go despair crap, screwed yeah, now because crippling despair yeah, you know, we, there was there, there was hope, and now that hope has been dashed because everyone's like, Reagan, woo! We're also and, uh, yeah, 15 hard. years away from the turn of the millennium, and mm-hmm. that had all sorts of 
implications. You know, hope or you know fear about it. You know that it was going to be here. Here is Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon, Y two K, the Rapture, all that stuff was swimming around. Uh, we had some doomsday cults going around. Um, people saying, "Why bother going to work? We're going to be dead next when it when it when the clock strikes." You know, midnight. Um, that didn't happen. Clearly, we're all here. But this play actually speaks to a lot of what was going on in the country at that time and what set it up and where we went from there, I think. Um, Not just as a country, but in the world, really, when you get to the end of the play and you see um, the characters that come out of this play, (laughs) the ones that are actually whole and well, um, it speaks a lot to the character of these... um, these people in the struggle that they've been through because some of the characters make it some don't and some that make it aren't well um and i don't mean they have hiv i mean they're not well at, at their end point it's very rough for them uh just to give a brief go down the list of the characters we have prior walter he is our lead and he is a young cater waiter in new york city and he is uh with his partner lewis and we open up at the funeral for Lewis's grandmother, who Lewis had pretended was already dead for five years. So it was kind of a shock to him to go to the funeral, according to him. And after the funeral, Lewis reveals that, um, well, Pryor reveals to Lewis that he has HIV with the KS lesion. We also meet Joe Pitt and uh, Harper Pitt, a desperately unhappily married Mormon couple. Uh, she's popping Valium as a housewife, has hallucinations, um, and Joe is a hardworking uh, Republican law clerk working in a court of appeals under this judge. And the judge is so addled, he's basically writing all the, um, all the decisions decisions yeah. for him, signing off on everything, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's basically doing a judge's job for not a lot of pay. And Joe has a secret. Joe is a closeted homosexual. <laughs> Harper asks him, where are you going when you walk at night? And we find out. Joe is walking through Central Park watching guys have sex. That's where Joe has been going, and that's kind of disturbing, considering Joe is a Mormon. Joe gets drunk one night and calls his mom back home in Salt Lake, a good uh, Mormon. And in the play, you don't get this scene in the uh, movie, but in the play, Hannah, Joe's mother, sells her house to move to New York to take care of her son. Hmm. She just, she, it's not like she takes a plane trip. She sells her house and moves to New York. And the real estate agent says, well, I always liked you. And it's like, why? Why did you like me? Because you're the, you're the most, un, you're the only unfriendly Mormon that I've ever met in my life. So there must be something special about you. So she picks up and leaves to go take care of this situation. But Joe is also friends with a real person. The only real person that is actually a character in the movie. And that is, uh, Roy Cohn, the infamous lawyer for um, the McCarthy era. He was an assistant on the McCarthy trials. If you remember the Red Scare and the Lavender Scare, they went after communists and homosexuals during that. And uh, Roy is basically trying to mentor Joe. We think it's kind of also a sexual thing for Roy with Joe because Joe's a very handsome young man. And Roy's like, oh, look, a handsome young man. Let me. Uh, let me have a piece of that. We also meet uh, Pryor's friend, Belize, who is our African-American character in the play. 
Um, and he comes in kind of in the first um, set of vignettes as comedy relief, and we need it at that point. But later on, he gets really, uh, he gets some really serious stuff to chew on. So he's not just a comedy character, which is which is a good thing because sometimes in plays, uh, a gay flamboyant character becomes the comic relief, and that's all they are reduced to, right? So when we talk about this play and we're talking about these characters involved in the play, I find it fascinating how it wraps up with the gay theme and the Mormon theme being that Mormonism is the only truly American established religion that actually has a presence in the country. So it's it's one of those things where it's, if we're going to have uh, a talk about religion as, as an American thing, then it's got to be Mormonism, right? There's not really a lot more to choose from. And can we talk about the credits for a minute when it, when it opens up, when it starts <laughs> over San Francisco and you're just flying like you're in a plane going from San Francisco all the way. You cross over Salt Lake City and you see the Mormon church. You go over the arch in St. Louis. You go over Chicago and then you wind up in New York and you land in Central Park at the Bethesda Angel, which we'll deal with in part two. And everything's quiet and it's beautiful music. And then the angel in the statue moves its head and looks directly at the viewer. Mm-hmm. It is the it is the creepiest thing, and yet it's so effective, right? Oh yeah, I saw that. It was like, oh god, I must have blinked or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, did uh, is this where Stephen got the idea for Blink? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be. It could really be. Honestly. <laughs> Don't look at the angel. Don't look at the angel. <laughs> um, but yeah, I find this I find this piece of work really fascinating. When I saw it, I mean, this came out in uh, 92, 91, 92, 93. Uh, that's when everyone started to see it. It premiered in Broadway, I think, on 90, in 93. Um, and of course, it went around the area. I saw it at the uh, Woodruff Theater in Atlanta. Both both parts. And I was gonna it say, was now, amazing. Were they, were they showing... Because I don't think I've seen a play or had a theatrical experience that has broken up in two parts. So they show it in like one sitting or was it because that's a long sitting. No, it was separated two nights. No, it was separated by years. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. You had to buy your tickets independently because we didn't know when part two was coming at that time. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Did did the play end like the the series ends in the in the third part? Because. Because that would be a, a not satisfying ending if I was watching oh, yeah. a play, I think. Yeah. I would be like, what? Now well, what? Like, well, let, let's talk about that because, you know, Angels in America, you're like, where are the angels, right? <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of a thing. It's in the title. Where are the angels at? The, the last thing that happens is the angel bursts through prior ceiling. Yeah, you're, you're kind of suspect that because, like, if you're paying attention, there are certain actors that are playing multiple characters. Yes. So, uh, supporting characters. So you're kind of like, okay, well, I can, I, I see something's going on. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it is interesting that, um, uh, that Mormonism is, is, is front and center, but also at least in the first act, uh, the first episode, um, uh, the Jewish religion oh, yeah. is touched mm-hmm. upon a lot well, um, for the first episode yes, yes. it was mm-hmm. a lot especially with the f- the funeral and then um him talking to the rabbi 
who I didn't even realize who was playing the rabbi until I saw it this time. And it was, Fooled you, didn't she? Fooled oh, you. she she was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant performances Not in this. Multiple, Absolutely multiple brilliant performances. performances. Well, that's how, that's how you cut down on the uh, the price of doing the play, right? You tell the actors they've got to do double, triple parts. Yeah. But it also works because of what's going on. Like, it, mm-hmm. it works because of how like you know this sets up the way the way angels work it's like it's not so much uh you know yes they can come down uh and 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 speak to you um and and be a miracle but also they they work in mysterious ways right they they can Mm -hmm. work through other people what was that line from uh the avengers tag that said something about the uh there's nothing more frightening than a miracle (laughs) you know because Everyone's like, angels, oh, that's, I mean, in, in the Christian faith, as I was brought up, angels were these beautiful things that, that sang, and they, they were blessings from heaven and all that jazz. But the angel, as it comes to prior, is <laughs> he's, he's, no, he's he, not he's, happy he's about terrified. it. He's terrified. not. He doesn't feel blessed. Well, let's, no, not at all. Yeah. Well, let's, let's also consider that you know, dementia was a serious side effect of hiv in the time so he thinks he's going crazy he thinks he's getting dementia at some point he he is aware of the fact that dementia is a thing that occurs to people with hiv and aids so he's very much on guard like belize when he has that moment like what voice what voices are you hearing um or when the when the nurse was speaking hebrew mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she was like hebrew i don't speak hebrew (laughs) yep one of my favorite moments uh, I think it's in the second episode. Um, but one of my favorite moments is when Pryor's dream slash hallucination uh, mixes with Harper's. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. And they, and they meet. Um, it's such a really great idea. Um, you know, uh, writing wise, it's just so much fun. It's like, I don't know if they're going to keep doing this, but it's it's really kind of interesting to have these characters meet and they don't know each other. Or at least we don't think they know each other, right? So well, they they don't at that point, but their lives intersect, right? So, right. And, and they will intersect in interesting right. ways in part. I mean, two and for that's sure. that's the point. They uh, need to parallel each other, and they they just stage that so well. The the similarities, yeah, the co- the co- they come from <laughs> such different backgrounds, but but they're human, and they have a lot of similarities. They're both suffering. They're both keeping secrets and suffering from other people keeping secrets. They're both been let down by their partners. And it's the way they, they point out that, you know, no matter what, what your background is, you still, you know, you're still human and you still share these common experiences. And I thought that was brilliant how Tony Kushner uh, wrote that and staged that and pointed that out. It is, uh, the the play is uh, uh, the play i've never seen the play so i've only like seen little clips of it here and there but this script which is uh it's still uh tony kirshner working on this script that mike nichols is directing um and it's got a theatrical quality to it mike nichols Mm -hmm. directs uh, has directed a lot of theater so it's got a very theatrical quality to it but it's brilliant and um i don't know much about Tony Kushner. Um, I know that uh, you know he received the Pulitzer Prize for this uh, this play, 
Um, and then I, I think he also, they got the, the this play won the Tony award. Yeah. For mm-hmm. um, play. Right. Man. So, um, uh, and it's, it's a huge achievement. So I don't know his history about where he came from or, or if he's, if this is consistent with his work, but. I, I think this is his more, uh, this is clearly an opus uh, of, of a playwright. I don't think he could go back to the well and top himself on this, to be honest, because I think, there are very few plays that American playwrights have written that stay in the zeitgeist. And you could probably name a couple of them, like uh, Death of a Salesman. Arthur Miller. The, the Glass Menagerie by Tennessee, um, Tennessee Williams. Yeah. There's not a lot of those plays that stick with you, but Angels is one of those plays where it's not just about this moment. It's about, when you think about it, it's this microcosm of nine people. But then it opens up into this is actually about America and where America is at this point and the themes that America faces moving into the millennium of having to care about its people, choosing to care about its people or choosing not to care about its people. And the fight between change versus stagnation. I mean, it, it's right there. And we it's more obvious in part two, but the angels are going to represent stopping the progress of humanity um and humans are like no we have to move forward even though it is painful we have to keep going we have to keep struggling because that is in our nature to well, move because forward. the only way out is through i mean you can't exactly i mean that's, <laughs> exactly that's the i think the main theme of the play i mean it's mm-hmm. it's it has very important things to say about prejudice and pandemics and, and <laughs> just humanity and inhumanity. But I think the central mm-hmm. theme is, is we have to embrace change or face destruction. Yep. Well, exactly. Be able to evolve. And this you see in this a lot of characters changing, but a lot of characters also running away from the change mm-hmm. that's offered to them. Oh, absolutely. I um, mean, Lewis alone becomes uh, a pariah. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, he oh, makes himself so. a pariah. <laughs> he chooses yeah, to be that. He does. <laughs> he does indeed. I mean, that conversation between him and Belize in the diner is epic. Like, he's like, no, let me talk. Like, you have been talking for the... You can imagine sitting next to a friend who has just been rambling for the last hour while all you want to do is eat your toast, drink your coffee, and go to work. You know, you're kind of humoring them by being there. It's like, enough. Enough of this. This is just guilt pouring out as the rabbi says you should find yourself a priest because exactly and that's always been the running joke you know as i grew up it's like what do catholics and jews always have in common guilt catholics go to school to learn it jews are born with it oh sweet <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Catholics can confess it, and I guess the uh, the opposite is you have to Jew, just live with it. Jews spend money on it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I see. Yeah. laughs> Meanwhile, Joe is so guilty; he gets a bleeding ulcer. Right? Oh, big time! You know, he he's holding a closeted gay man who has to get drunk, and Mormons don't drink. That's like one of their tenets. They don't even have a caffeine. No, they, they don't they put don't. anything unnatural in their body. So for him to call his mom up drunk. You know, and say, by the way, I'm no wonder she sold her house. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <It's> like, 
<laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Pretty much. Oh, yes, pretty big much. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's before we get too deep into it, we mm-hmm. let's really just talk about the cast because this is just an amazing collection of folks. It and, is. And uh, I don't know, Darren, where do you want to start? Because the cast well, is just amazing. In this. Let's start with the rabbi here, because uh, <laughs> Mer- Meryl Streep does such an amazing job with the rabbi. She does such an amazing job with Ethel Rosenberg, yep. um, who kind of becomes the angel of death. in, in Roy Cohn's own personal angel Cone. of death. <laughs> Pretty, oh, much. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, that, she that plays Hannah. Awesome. Oh, 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 exactly. Ethel gets some great lines in the in the second section. She, you barely get to meet her in this one, but in the in the next three episodes, Ethel's fairly front and center. <laughs> oh, when Ethel came and you know when he was laying on the floor, mm-hmm. and she said, "Oh, you want me to call the, for for some help for you?" Mm-hmm. Oh, that's grand. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That was just that was just awesome. What are the numbers, Roy? Because <laughs> she's oh, she's oh, been look. dead since the nineteen fifties. Yes, right? exactly. Oh, look, they have pretty buttons on it <laughs> yeah. now. Oh, they they make music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she calls nine one one. You should want to send an ambulance over to the home of the famous lawyer, Mister Roy Cohn. You know, it's very. The language that Kushner puts in his plays is very exact, and you as an actor have got to be on that. You can't mess up a line. It's very – everything is intended to be the way he sets it up. Uh, let's let's talk about Pryor, Justin Kirk. Um, he does a really good job of trying to be the strong one in that relationship with him and Lewis. And Lewis puts him in the position of, like he says, I have to comfort you every time I tell you something bad. You know, You should be the one comforting me. And Lewis tries to hang in there, and he's played by Ben Shankman, but he just can't do it. He cannot no. do it. Very yeah. weak character he throughout this whole story. Apart pretty yeah, quickly. I've, I've, I've seen uh, a lot of these actors, uh, especially a lot of them, this made them, and they've gone on mm-hmm. to do great things um, uh, after this, uh, even more great things, I should say. Mm-hmm. But um, and I, So I'd seen this before, I don't know when, maybe, uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, this is the first time I'm watching it for a while. And I swear, every time I see Justin Kirk, I'm like, that's Sebastian Stan. I'm like, no, it's not Sebastian Stan. No, like, no. he is, I mean, if this were made today, that would be Sebastian Stan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they look, a, a they less look very work, similar. A less worked out version, a more 80s thin version, <laughs> yeah. right? So, oh, sure. yeah, uh, totally. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, anytime that you have to commit to that kind of role, Totally. Where yeah. where you're doing this, it's like I can't imagine the 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 stress he had on his own body, mm-hmm. because you know the the CG wasn't as great then. No. Uh, you can tell in some moments. Um, so a lot of it's practical. So when they are mm-hmm. gaining, when these actors are gaining or losing weight and and looking like this, uh, it's because they're actually doing that. So, yep. very very true. And then we have Jeffrey Wright as Belize and Mister oh. Lies. He is the only actor who originated his role in the play. Oh, interesting. In this, yeah. He was in the original production of Angels in America. So he is the only original piece. He skyrocketed after this. Oh, totally. Totally. Like, and I I love him in his his role since then, especially Westworld. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's been, he's one of my favorites. 
Just the way he says boob. (laughs) 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 What kind of homosexual are you, Mary? (laughs) I I love it. You know, looking at the sky. What do you mean? That is moe. That's not purple, purple, Mary. not purple. (laughs) And and you're going to see Belize is going to give you all a lesson in shade and reading in the next episode. Oh, that's for sure. He's, yes. I, I just love his. I love his line. I'll save it for next episode because it's so good. But the um, scene with him in particular, the scene with him and uh, uh, Pryor in the hospital, is, oh yeah, is yes. so touching. It, it established that's that's the thing all these unfortunate people needed, um, and I think that's something that comes out when we see the two heralds visiting Pryor at home is that they both died of a plague of their times as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, one of the, the the great, you know, plague of the bubonic plague in, in Europe and the other one, I think, was smallpox or the black jack. I don't know what that one is. Maybe it's syphilis or something like that. But it was it was plagues they knew nothing of that they would be victims of. Right. Same same as this when uh, they caught that. I think Kushner picked 85 as a very important year. It wasn't just that Reagan had just been reelected, but it was also that time because 1980 was kind of when we heard about AIDS for the first time. So then the damage had already been done to a lot of guys by that point, right? So it was just who slept with who and who slept with who and who slept with who. And you realize that you slept with a guy two years ago before the HIV thing became a thing and he's dead. Uh Uh-oh. You know, you could be next or whatever. Mm. So... I think 85 was a really good time to pick for the date for this play. Also, Joe and Harper had been together for five years at this time too. So that's kind of in there too. All this stuff happened in 80 to, to these folks really when Reagan got elected the first time Mm. that was all on purpose. (laughs) You can't convince (laughs) me otherwise. Exactly. And he was such a Reagan youth, you know, totally. You know, the suits, the haircut, it was just like, oh, God, right in the middle, yuppie USA. But yep. he was such an ultra-religious, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't, he was so closeted. It was just like, oh. And even, I, to the, even to the scene when he came out with the three hot dogs. Yep. <laughs> the scene mm-hmm. where they're all eating hot dogs was just too damn funny. Yep. I was like, man, they are not subtle here. Supplementing <laughs> a need is what <laughs> but, that is called. <laughs> But I, I do give them credit, you know, again, um, because the way Patrick Wilson plays him, the way it's written, the way it's directed, you don't hate Joe, you know? No, I mean, if I met no. Joe in person, I would hate Joe. But He's <laughs> but easy to feel if, uh, sorry for because he's been very twisted but, by his upbringing, by, by the things he surrounded himself with, and he's not strong enough to break free. And so he just becomes more yeah, and more tortured, I, I, and he tortures everybody around him. Right. I, I have a yeah. I'm not sure I want to go for so far as to call him a victim, but he is suffering in a way that we can we can sort of even understand. I, I yeah. can feel sorry for him in a way, but I, I was actually not like Joe, but I was engaged to get married, and I had to break that off because I knew it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. So at, at some point you come to the crossroads and there are plenty of guys who come out later in life after they've right. been married, after they've had kids. It just depends upon when, for lack of a better word, they get the balls to do so. 
and Joe uh, Joe has no balls in this no. play. He 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 goes and he looks, and then he has a thing with Lewis, uh, which we'll get more in part two. But the one I feel really sorry for is Harper. Oh, that, yeah, of course. Yes. Harper has problems, and the last <laughs> thing that she needed was yes. Joe in her life, right? Oh, very much so. And it was real interesting. You know, the relationship with them, the first scene you see with Harper, she's listening to Dr. Ruth. Uh-huh. And, you know, and it was it was cute hearing her describe it to Joe. <laughs> I was just listening to this Jewish lady on the radio talking about giving fellatio to an ice cream cone. <laughs> and it was just like, because they, they hadn't had sex. They hadn't consummated the marriage. They did buddy kisses. Yep. Well, they, it's interesting. They referred to each other as buddy. Like it's like so. Here's a, here's a, uh, you know, a manly a, term, right? A, 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 a couple that have been married for a while that see themselves as more friends than lovers. Actually, no, I'm not even sure uh, friends, exactly. acquaintances. I don't know yeah. acquaintances. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, I cannot. I don't know. I don't know the history, so I don't know if she did this on on stage. But I cannot imagine anybody else in that role other than Mary Louise Parker. I mean, she is so <laughs> perfect, and the way she sells Harper is just so endearing that I find it hard to believe that anybody else could have played Harper. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden played, played her, her well. Broadway. She did a really wow. good job. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I could. Uh, I bet so. She's got some talent. So yep. So uh, yeah, Harper's one of those roles. Uh, a twenty thirty something actress will will sink her teeth into for sure and <laughs> and do a really good job with it. Have no have no fear about that. Um, who have who have we not talked about? I guess Hannah. We're going to get back to Meryl because Han- Hannah comes to town, and of course Emma Thompson's doing double triple duty because she's yep. playing the nurse. She will eventually play the angel. <laughs> we saw a glimpse of that <laughs> at the end of the third episode, and she plays the psychotic homeless woman. Yep. In the in mm-hmm. the a lot. Yep. So, you know, she's doing a lot of stuff. And usually um the actor who plays Roy's doctor is also played by the angel. Oh, interesting. So she would have had a fourth role, but they had um James, James Cromwell Cromwell yeah. come in and play play it because I mean, when you're not doing theater and you're doing film, there is a certain level of, yeah, we can't put makeup on this person to make them look like hmm. someone who's not you know, who they're supposed to be at this situation because that needs to be a really one-on-one thing. It's the same with the heralds in the play are, are played by Roy Cohn and Joe Pitt's actor. So they're all doubling up everywhere. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah well, I would glad also in the movie gave it more of a play feel mm-hmm. by seeing the people double up and triple up some of the roles. Yeah. Totally. But I think it's when the heralds come in that it actually becomes, Oh, this is kind of a fantasy. I mean, we had, we had the scene with Harper and Pryor in that dream fugue state, right? Right. And that's kind of very fantastical. But I think when the heralds show up and they're aflame, it's like, oh, shit's about to go down. <laughs> Something is not <laughs> – this is like poltergeist level stuff about to happen here, you know? Yeah, this is very so, cool. That's very accurate. So shall we talk um, about De Niro for five seconds? Cause I mean Pacino. Oh, Pacino. I Come on. Always mixed up in my head. A lot of people do. Oh, my I, God. I, look, I, I have to say this, and it's the same with Meryl Streep, but with, particularly with Al Pacino, 
um, I think he's, you know, obviously his reputation is that he's one of the best, right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of go in going, oh, it's Al Pacino. It's, you know, but then you watch him work and you're like, damn, he is the best. Like, he, this is, like, mm-hmm. he, this is a masterful for performance. And I don't know if I've ever seen Pacino, like, just phone it in, so to speak. Um, um, and that's where I would differ with, say, De Niro, where... I've seen De Niro in roles that I don't think his heart was really into it. Um, um, But Pacino, like in this, I mean, he just, you know, I mean, chews up all the scenery of almost every scene he's in. Oh, my God. The scene with him and the doctor, when the doctor was trying to tell him he has HIV. No, I don't. You know, it's like I've got. Well, well no, no, no. Yeah. He's not only he's not, he's not insisting that he's not a, that doesn't doesn't have AIDS. He's insisting that he's not a homosexual. Like I sleep with men and I have sex with men, but I am not a homosexual. Yep. And his distinction of that is is frightening. The fact that he's based on a real person um, uh, is is even more frightening. I think. Yeah. I mean, he was also the lawyer for Donald Trump's father and for Donald Trump. And, you know, yep. Don, Trump yeah. had the famous famous line, where's my Roy Cohn, without any irony. Mm. Because no, none around. whatsoever. But, <laughs> and, and, and Roy Cohn said Donald Trump was a genius. Smartest man he'd ever met. So Ooh, just yeah, think about that. that on the <laughs> river, right? But Roy, Roy Cohn did die. Um, he, he actually contracted AIDS and passed away. I think it was 86. Um, he died several months after he had been disbarred. Um, so that, that happens in a uh, part two of our discussion, but Roy Cohn did say, I have liver cancer mm-hmm. vehemently to his deathbed. Literally. He was not, he did not have AIDS. He did not have AIDS. He did not. That was the story. And of course, the second he died, yes, he had AIDS. Um, it <laughs> all kind of came out and, um, famously, uh, the IRS possessed almost everything he owned. When he died, he owed tons of money to everybody. So when he died, the, the creditors all came in, including the IRS, to get all of his stuff because, hey, he was uh, he was a shady character. <laughs> Just, a little day, bit. Just a little bit. He, if you're going to say anyone's our villain, Roy Cohn is the villain of this piece for sure, right? Oh, yeah. So he, he's the gay man in the closet using his clout, as he says, to keep other gay men from rising to a place on the totem pole where they could have clout. Cause he did that back in the fifties with McCarthy with the lavender scare. And he got rid of all the gay people in government because we could be targets for blackmail because if someone found out you're gay, well, your government job is on. Have you seen clue? That was actually a thing that occurred in the fifties <laughs> that Mr. Green <laughs> ideology. Right? So, Roy is is a staggeringly evil character in real life and in the play for most gay people. And he's unfortunately one of those things that we have to deal with. I I had acquaintances who I did not know were gay until I accidentally came upon them being gay. And I don't mean at a club or anything. I mean, guy was talking to another guy in the hotel room that I was in and then there was a language barrier, and I understood enough to understand that the other guy was saying, is Atlanta a good place if you're gay? And he was not being addressed to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, but this guy 
get him on any day. He was all about the Bush Reagan years, all about him. Wow. Everything. There was nothing about him that would let you believe that he was on my team. But yeah, he was on my team. And he, a- he was someone who would use that power. He he's not he's not a homosexual. He has sex with guys. Well, I, that's just guy. the point. It was it, it's all about power. And it doesn't matter oh, who you're exactly. holding and the that's power the whole thing over. With- In fact, you hate yourself so exactly. much that it's easier to hold the power over the the people who remind you of yourself. Yep. There was a couple times I thought he was going to just go go on to Joe a couple oh, yeah. times. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, there was well, a few scenes. And, oh, yeah, he flirted, but no, I thought he was just going to. He's got his hands go from, all over him at that bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at the bar or the scene when they were at at uh, jo- at the house, and you know, Joe finally punched him, and it was just like, mm-hmm. and it was just like, yeah, I thought, you know, he, I thought Pacino's character was just going to come on to him, start just like making out with him or something, mm-hmm. you know. Because you know everyone's gaydar was going off anyway with it with Joe. Everyone mm-hmm. knew. <laughs> Lewis like only, knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only one who didn't know was Joe. Joe you know, knew. but he knew, Joe, but he didn't want. He Joe didn't want knew. to admit yeah. to it. Right. Yeah. Joe knew, but he just didn't want to. Joe knew, but he was not. It. No. Yeah. No. And couldn't do it. Couldn't, couldn't confront it. it. I mean, it went against everything that he was taught mm-hmm. and believed in. Pretty much. Yes. Poor, poor Joe. Poor, poor, poor Joe. Do we care about Joe? <laughs> no. No, not really. No. And, and you, you'll probably care less yeah, about him. Yeah, he actually next gets worse. Episodes, <laughs> I wouldn't say, I, I, wouldn't, I was going to say, I wouldn't say in this I don't care about him. I don't hate him, though. I think there's a, there, like, mm-hmm. he's not the villain of the piece, right? He's not, um, he's just, you know, has questions and is this is a new, mm-hmm. in some ways, he's our eyes into this. As far as, uh, you know, uh, uh, coming from a, a straight white male, it's, he's kind of our eyes into this world because he's not, he doesn't know what this world is. See, I would disagree. I would well, say I mean, he is a villain of the piece. And, you know, maybe that's coming from a gay perspective because imagine what it feels like to watch somebody from your own community screw you over like that. And there's a lot of them in government who are actually yep, se- totally. hiding a lot of secrets and uh, hating themselves so much that they take it out on gay people. You think anti-gay legislation is written mostly by straight people? Not? No. 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 I mean, we all know mm-hmm. about Larry Craig in the infamous exactly. airport bathroom scene. So, I mean, he's only one of a handful that we could, like, name. Who are Those like, are actually guys, the people that on. are most dangerous to, to us as a community. They really are. Yeah. But I mean, you, you get the sense of the difference in uh, gay clout world, which Roy Cohn inhabits, versus gay world with, in, that, in that nice restaurant scene where they're having to talk about if we put Joe in the Justice Department, he can stop the disbarment because he'll be there to stop all these other lawyers' actions. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. But then the camera moves into Central Park where Lewis is getting punished, fucked, for lack of a better word, because he left right. prior. Right. Oh right. my God! And the, with the bike, not like the, the biker, biker guy. Yep. Yeah, it looked like a reject from the village people. Yep. And pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like it's like, and oh, for him to say, you know, afterwards, say hi to mom and dad for me because the guy 
lived with his parents. Mm-hmm. Don't think. Yeah. Uh, that was just at this like, point in the first half. I find that I I I I can't stand uh, him more than Joe Lewis. Yeah, Lewis. Like Lewis is detestable. Um, uh, granted, some of his actions are understandable. Uh, and they do a pretty good job at like letting, like you know, obviously it's a lot to handle and everything, but the way he handles everything is, is to whine about it and run away. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right, right. At the point where I'm like, uh, Harp, uh, not Harp. Uh, sorry, uh, Prior. Um, I know that you know the heart wants what it wants, but you're better off without this guy. <laughs> Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like. I don't know what you saw in him for five years, but right now, like, he is not the guy that you should have by your by your. Well, I mean, he's a hypochondriac. He's paranoid. He's neurotic. Sure. Um, and and all that is wrapped up, and then you discover early on he can't deal with sickness and death. No, said, no, he, not at all. He ignored hint- his grandmother. I mean, exactly. I was about to say he was hint. It was hinted right at the funeral. Yeah, yeah. I mean, should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean it's right there in the script. Lewis cannot handle reality. Oh, it's, I, it's again, it's so, another theme of the play. It's being ruled ro- by fear, ro- and and what being ruled yep. by fear turns you into. He's good at theory, but he's not good at reality. Right, that whole scene of of him and Belize in the diner where he's talking about all the racial theory, and Belize is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? what what world are you yeah, living like, in? I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna skip over the six things you said which were offensive <laughs> right. to me yes yes <laughs> how dare you tell me america doesn't have a race problem okay <laughs> kushner wrote that in 91 uh, and uh, here we are well mm-hmm. I, I i dare say you know um um many of these issues that are that were prevalent then uh, that were prevalent when the HBO series came out 20 years later, which are still prevalent to this day. Uh, yeah. Even more so now with, you know, uh, obviously you can, you look at this with a whole new lens post-COVID. Oh, totally. This is like, and we talked about it in the um, Paris is Burning episode, how this is like the second par- um, pandemic for LGBT right. people. Right. 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 We, we've been through one and now we've gone through another one. It's like enough. Just give us a break, please, for the love of Jeebus. But you discover in the next three that change is hard. Well, and also and maybe <laughs> and not it, not very much has changed. <laughs> because the, frankly, yeah. the government response to COVID nineteen was extremely familiar to anyone who went through the AIDS epidemic. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was like, do nothing. And many and, people in government at the time were like, yeah, well, it's, it's killing. Yeah, they didn't vote matter. for us. We don't care. Right. And and the, the what you mentioned, uh, Darren, about the, the heralds, about Walter's ancestor, the Walter's ancestors, is that um, they all like this is almost like a cyclical thing now. I mean, mm-hmm. now it seems like, oh, my God, like, it seems like every, you know, few two or three decades, you know, we're going to get wiped out by something it's a family tradition right <laughs> you know i mean even up to yeah, now like now it's like <laughs> are we having a convention what's going on here <laughs> yeah, oh my god when he saw the two dancing the ancestor went oh it's all fornication yeah well he's a sodomite that's why he doesn't have children exactly. you know? yeah, i get it 
finally it, it dawns on me why he doesn't have kids <laughs> here here's his mate Mm. <laughs> where yeah. the other ancestor was uh, was was clued in right in the beginning. Oh, totally, because he was a little more <laughs> he was a little more sophisticated, wasn't he? That, yeah, yeah. That's we'll call it that. We'll call it sophisticated. That's what he was. What was it? We, we said last time, flamboyant. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. So that that that's uh, proof of the gay gene right there, right? So I will say uh, this is an intense drama. It's beautifully, you know, directed. It's beautifully written. It's beautifully acted. Um, it's very beautiful to watch. Um, and um, I will say that it's pretty. It's a lot of scenes are intense. Um, uh, yeah. With the first half, I didn't find myself. I do remember watching this a few years ago, and yes, it does. The second half is you know get the tissues ready. The first half. Not so much. It's a lot of. It almost feels like it's a lot of setup. It, it is setup, and I, I agree with the statement that you made earlier, Mike, about how if you went to go see this play, you were kind of left with. <laughs> now what? Now what? That's the end. <laughs> that was it. Um, but we all kind of knew going into it, it was going to be a two-part play because there was no way to write this play and sum it up in three hours. Yeah, what a bold move, though, to yeah. make a, make a, a mm-hmm. two-part play like this. I mean, I. I can't think of another uh, theatrical experience like it. I, I mean, I'm sure it exists, but I certainly on a mm-hmm. on a massive level like this, I, or a popular level like this, I can't think of one. That's... I mean, there's operas that go on for hours and hours. Hamlet's five hours long. Think of the I Ring think. Cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the Ring Cycle. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's just a little different. The Rings but... trilogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yes, the director's cut. cut. Yeah. <laughs> At least they just didn't sit in this one and walk and walk and, <laughs> and walk. walk and walk. Now they take the train. It's fine. Exactly. So, I, like I said, I didn't see, uh, but yeah, it was kind of you know because at the end, you know, when we find out that uh, that uh, I mean, it's declared that Harp um, Pryor is a is a prophet. Yes, is deemed a prophet. That. He is deemed <laughs> by the yeah. He's deemed by the mm-hmm. the angels up above that he is a, to be a prophet. He is a prophet, sir. Yep. So I'm really curious now to see the second half. And when we talk about the second mm-hmm. half, exactly how what that means to him and others. The, the second half gets way deeper into biblical themes. The second part of the play is, I know I'm saying play out of habit. I'm a theater geek, you know, but it's way more poetic language. And the first three um, episodes are much more plain language you know what i mean this has got a lot clearer through line than the next three because it gets into that religious philosophical side of life that sometimes you lose that that makes sense because prior (laughs) Mm -hmm. as his illness progresses he's turning inward you know these are the questions he's facing well he's also left alone you know, yeah, and he's, but I mean, that's all. Yeah, that's all time. he can do is is turn inward and you know muse and brood about what's happening to him because he's not getting mm-hmm. you know very much outside support. Yeah, and he knows exactly. he's he's not getting better. He right. just has Belize. That's all he has right now. And and as you're you know facing death, uh, it's just you know it's human nature to 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 mm-hmm. see well as I'm getting closer. What is there anything on the other side? 
please tell me that there's something on the other side. And yeah, uh, what does that look like? And and and, and, and that's that's an everyman struggle, right? We all want right. to know what's on the other side of us. You know, we all want to know what our spiritual lives are going to be. And I, I think that's a very common human need to to want to know that. Um, Angels is one of those works that is just the more you look at it, the more you see in it. And I, I think it's one of those things that does require multiple viewings to get it all. Because oh, the first sure. time the first time I saw it, I was all wrapped into the HIV AIDS storyline because that was like at the forefront in the nineties for me, being a baby gay. I'm like, this is like one of the few works about AIDS I can go see. I'm gonna go see it. And I kind of ignored the Harper thing. But now Harper's like, oh wow, that's kind of that's indicative of America right there. She's making jello with ice cubes for crying out loud. <laughs> I've never seen anyone make jello with ice cubes before. Cold water, yeah, but ice cubes? Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's and then of course you find out more about Roy Cohn once you do your, your reading, you're like, oh my God, there there was the ultimate evil closet case on the planet. And AIDS did that. AIDS made people come out of the closet. It didn't give you a choice. And even people who caught um AIDS through blood transfusion like Arthur Ashe people were kept asking him when did you have gay sex when he had an operation and he got infected blood oh, it was a gay disease and that, oh, exactly. that's I mean it yeah, wasn't really was, a gay disease that but that's what, what everybody thought and that's how it was classified yep. no what opened the eyes to a lot of people was when was it Ryan yes, White Ryan White, Ryan White. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and he yeah. Um, you know fought for the right to go to school Meanwhile, in Florida, there was this case where um, there were three hemophiliac brothers who all caught HIV, and they were the Ray brothers, and people bombed them out of their house. Mm-hmm, that's true. And, and that, that happened, too. So that's America, right? Everybody loved Ryan White, but then you've got this family who's homeless, possibly destitute. We don't know. Um, dealing with their three kids having HIV from an accident. But... Well- you know, well, if you think about it, Ryan White was the perfect little white well, boy. Well, that's just who, it. Yes. Who caught? <laughs> yeah, who, who who caught Elton John's attention? I, yep. And you know, became a, a celebrity because of it in the face, mm-hmm. where you had so much you know people that who got it from transfusions or a needle or you know something like that was you know shunned upon because you know. They had, you know, the gay disease. It was the gay disease. And we're going to do some TV later down the road, and we'll get to that Designing Women episode where AIDS is referred to as, well, this is just killing all the right people. Because that Mm -hmm. was exactly what people thought back then. It's getting rid of people who do not matter. So why the F should I I care about them? And that, that is something America's soul has yet to wrestle with. We are, we are, what, 40 years out from that. And we're still fighting for basic rights to be able – you can get married, and it's great that you can get married as a gay person now. But you can also put a picture of you and your spouse in your desk and be fired later that day. Oh, yeah. Very much so. And we'll we'll talk about more yeah. about what it was like for us dating. You know, even if you were straight, you had to be aware of it at this mm-hmm. point, you know. And it wasn't, you know, it affected everybody. And... It totally did, sir. It totally did. But yeah. <laughs> so part one, Angels in America. It leaves us with an angel 
coming through a roof <laughs> prior with a massive erection and the audience waiting for its climax. <laughs> it's the, uh, it, it's the, it's the poster. <laughs> the last image that you see in part one is the poster art is the poster of the angel approaching him. Emma Thompson mm-hmm. looking glorious in her splendor. I, 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 there's a lot of flowery language coming up when it comes to the angels. So as it oh, should yes. be really. So, but there we go, kids, that's part one. And we'll come back with part two shortly. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with a little bit of a creative outlet. Welcome to a Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this Geek Girl is talking about the first episode of Loki. The long wait is over for a new Marvel show, and Loki did not disappoint. The first episode had the God of Mischief getting apprehended by the Time Varen Authority and registered at their facility. After he messed up the timeline from taking the Tesseract at the end of Avengers 1 in Infinity Wars, creating a new Loki and a new timeline. Loki does his best to talk his way out of his sentencing and then tries to escape, ending up in the room where the Tesseract is and a whole bunch of other Infinity Stones. Which one of the workers says that they constantly use as paperweights? Loki realizing he could not escape. He gets to then see what happens with his normal timeline from his mother being killed to his death at the hands of Thanos, since this Loki is still stuck in 2012. We also get a pretty sure confirmation that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is an alternative timeline, since they confirm Agent Coulson is dead during this whole back and forth between Mobius and Loki. We also learn that there is someone killing TVA operatives and stealing their devices that reset timelines. We do not yet know who it is, but I have some thoughts on it, and I'm really excited to see what they do and how this will actually go into the new Doctor Strange movie. So far, the first episode did an amazing job of opening up the show, and I absolutely cannot wait to see more. I am really, really excited about this show. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Hey everyone, welcome back. Now it's for time for the Creative Outlet segment. And we're here with our new friend, Morgan Quaid. Welcome to Earth Station One, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You have a new Kickstarter that is going on and you've already actually hit your goal before you even came to see us but you know there's a lot of time still to go on your program so let's hear about it right yeah so uh enmity is uh a story based on the premise of what if the devil got tired of doing his job so what if he got fed up with doing the day-to-day grind and just went on a bender um you know did everything that he could and as part of that exercise, you know, slept with a bunch of ladies and one of them got pregnant 
And then, you know, 16 years later, um, the story is that that daughter that grows up um, goes looking for her, effectively her deadbeat dad, who just happens to be Lucifer. And she doesn't know that her dad is Lucifer, just that he abandoned her and her mother at their time of need, just at the time that the world started to try and eat itself. Um, so that's the central premise that, that uh, the devil character isn't the, the traditional, you know, pitchfork and red, red skin and horns and all that sort of stuff. He's more of a someone that keeps the balance between good and evil. He's someone who whispers in the ears of powerful people and tells them to do bad stuff to, to kind of balance out the good in the world. Um, so he's more of that kind of advocate kind of character. Um, but he's been doing it for two and a half thousand, three thousand years. He's sick of it, doesn't want to do it anymore. So he just gives up. And the result of that is catastrophic for the world because it turns out he was pretty good at his job. And then with him not doing it, there's a bit of a vacuum there. And so there's uh, a little bit of a, a, a stouch in the heavens between the angels to decide who's going to take up that, that mantle. And the person that's chosen, or the angel that's chosen, I should say, does not do uh, a good job. So the result is a post-apocalyptic world. And that's where this character, Daisy, uh, pops up, searching for her, um, her deadbeat dad. Uh, in, in the middle uh, of an apocalypse, of course. Sure. Yeah, well, why not? As you do. Um, uh, so the art looks great. The premise is, uh, is fun and fantastic. Um, I know that you are out of Australia and we do have a lot of listeners out there. Um, but, um, a a good chunk of our listenership is in the States. Do you have mailing rates for that? Or is it, is it pretty much a digital thing for those folks who want to support you in the States? No. So uh, I've got a US based printer as well as Ah. an Aussie based printer. So very good. Very um, good. Keep it nice and cheap and as quick as we can to get the, um, the rewards out. Yeah. That's great. Great. So this is, this is, this sounds like it's not your first rodeo. <laughs> it's not my, it's not my first rodeo. Uh, I've done a few others. Um, some of them have not been great experiences. My first, uh, because we're in Australia, obviously, uh, postage is obscene. So right. my first Kickstarter, I didn't know what I was doing. So I ordered from a US based printer, shipped it to Australia and then fulfilled them by posting them out largely to the US. Ouch. So I got double oh. charged. <laughs> which is just really silly. So I don't do that anymore. I make sure I've got um, got a US printer that can do that for me. You learn the hard way. You learn the hard way. Oh, um, man. Well, better learning now than, you know, later, you know, as they like to say, when you start selling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books and you go, oh, I have to mail it all over to the US. Joy. <laughs> Right. Well, that, that's it. I've tried to make that even the rewards, I've thought very carefully about rewards that aren't going to uh, get hammered with postage and can be quickly sent out and those sorts of things to try and make it as easy as possible. Because, yeah, I, I get the feeling if you do that bit wrong, it's not in everyone's best interest. Um, so, yeah, better to make that as streamlined as, as possible. Uh, and, you know, partnering with a few other people to... Um, giveaway pdfs when we meet certain backer uh numbers and those sorts of things so there's lots of extras that are included as well that don't have a postage component which is great awesome awesome and yes as mike said even though you've technically met your goal that doesn't mean that the project is over people can still support you people still want to read this book and this is the way you do that right yeah 100 um plus there are some really really cool extras coming in um 
There's a crossover uh, comic that we're probably going to be doing shortly. There's a new uh, variant cover by an amazing artist. Um, we're also one of the characters is a pug in the, in the comic, so we're going to get an artist to to draw Pug of the Apocalypse, so a kind of Mad Max uh, pug. So if we can get enough backers, we'll get that one in. Uh, and then there's even a, an additional short story that um, if we get enough backers, we can um, we can include as well. And everyone will get that. So there's lots of cool stuff. The more backers we get, um, the more we can do. That awesome. is awesome. Are you planning on continuing the story after this one, or is this just one and done? Yeah, no, no, definitely after this one. So it's a, it's a five uh, five issue uh, arc. So the the goal is to get that those first five issues done and then put them into a, um, a graphic novel kind of binding. Um, so yeah, there'll be more coming from here. Um, you'll see on the on the campaign as well. There's there's uh, three or four other uh, titles that that we've got. Uh, under super serious comics which is my my comic uh publisher uh so uh we're including a lot of those as bonuses and add-ons and those sorts of things as well but this one yeah this will go to at least five issues for the for the initial story and then we'll see um where we go from there yeah well that is awesome man and you know how so how could people find you up on kickstarter Ah, so just search for uh, under the comics area. Search for Enmity, which is uh, E N M I T. Uh, apologies for the, you know, trying to pronounce that word. I have trouble myself, but anyway. Uh, or you can find me uh, Morgan Quaid on you know Facebook or uh, the Instagram, which I believe the kids are still using, and um, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, if you just search uh, Enmity campaign, you'll find me on on social media. That is awesome, Morgan. Thank you so much for joining us, and good luck on the meeting your rest of your extended goals and everything. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back to close up the show. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Erstition One Podcast. I want to thank our crew for being here tonight. Darren, thank you for bringing this topic up. It was great to talk about. I, 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 thank you for thanking me. Reaching up to the heavens, coming to you. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Every, it, everyone feels warm now in your special places. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we have a lot still to go. So. Oh, we do. We do. There's more coming. Literally. Oh, literally. 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 <laughs> Eight of them, actually. So it will be very Pretty interesting. Much. Pretty much. So we'll talk all about that. Um, we are, we'll be back on, I guess, you know, for you guys at home, probably Saturday or Sunday, the second part of this will be coming out. We're going to be not doing this as our next episode. We're doing a special episode to finish this story up. It, it's just too big, and we don't want to wait a few months or something to finish talking mm -hmm. about this. This is... Uh, this is an amazing story that needed to be told. And Agreed. so, Darren, like I said, thank you for bringing it to our attention. You're welcome, guys. And anything you want to shout out about, sir? Uh, just uh, Legion of Superheroes. 
uh, Legion of Substitute Podcasters, and of course, the Dragon Con Report, which I think we're recording that sometime soon, aren't we? Oh yeah, uh, sooner than you think. Sooner than you think. So yes, um, actually, Legion question, are they going to be doing any more s- series, or is it gone? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> R- right now, if it's not, I mean, give me, give me a minute. DC... <laughs> The whole Warner Brothers AT and T debacle that has gone on is is really problematic because DC is an IP farm for the movies. The movies haven't been very successful. <laughs> um, I, I think what we're going to see is that DC is going to stay with Warner Brothers, but I think we may see some new um, directions for the comics because right now, unless it's Batman, they're hardly publishing it. Right. Because Batman sells, right? So if it doesn't have a bat on the cover or a bat in the book somewhere, it's really not being promoted much. So no one really knows what's going on out there. And the Legion book just kind of stopped with Future State. And then nothing. And we're like, y'all spent a year planning this new Legion. That's a lot of money to pay a writer and an artist not to work to plan something for only to, for you to get only like 12 issues out of it yeah. mm-hmm. and then to just stop it. So it's like, we don't know what the plan is. I don't think they know what the plan is because AT&T kind of gutted their staff. Yeah. Honestly, well, by discover now. Yeah. Well, they are, but they got to build up their well, talent pool and their editors and know. get some direction that is outside of Gotham city. Cause I'm sorry when you publish like 30 books a month and they're all, dark and brooding it gets old real quick well uh, in, until know. until the sales show it though they're not going to change and and that's the problem is people are still buying the books so okay you know oh i know i agree they even made shazam which is a very light character very dark <laughs> because they have to exactly it's ridiculous I, it is it's completely ridiculous that's why i stopped buying comics except for legion that i need to buy for the podcast because oh i agree it's the same note. It's yeah. very blah. Agreed. Agreed, mm-hmm. agreed, agreed. Hi. Mary, thank you. On to brighter things. <laughs> Mike! <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy you are here today, hon. I am too. I mean, this is a one of the most amazing plays ever written. I mean, that really touched me. I, I'll never forget the first time I, I saw it and I, I read it. and I've seen it many, many times. So, th- so thank you for having me, and what a great discussion we had, and I really appreciate all of you for bringing it up. Oh, yeah. Part two. Part two is coming. Part, Part two is coming. It is. It is. Let's not forget that. Of course, anything you want to shout out about? Um, just that you can uh, find me at maryogle.com or on Etsy at eVision Arts. Excellent. And anything about your book? My, oh man, don't ask me about the book. (laughs) (laughs) There's my answer for the book. Okay. So, Mr. Mike Horton, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you got to shout out about, sir? I do. Um, I had the honor uh, this past weekend was the 40th anniversary of the uh, release of my favorite movie of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I had the pleasure of joining um, Van Allen Plexico and the award winning uh, author Bobby Nash on a panel talking all about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
celebrating it. And uh, we did that virtual panel for the uh, Alabama Sci-Fi Fantasy Fest, which is, uh, I guess, usually held at the Hoover Library uh, over there in uh, near Birmingham. And uh, this this year they're going to be virtual, so they're not going to have an on uh, in-person event. So there's a lot of virtual programming. So I've never been able to attend in person. But once I got the call from Van, who put this together, I was more than happy to uh, to attend as a, on this panel. So um, I'll post the schedule um, as I get it, but um, and we'll have a link to the Hoover Library in our show notes. But uh, I I believe on on July 31st, all the programming that we've done or has been done for this uh, event will be available, including our our discussion on the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Excellent. 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 I can't wait to see it. And, you know, it's always great. You know, virtual cons are still a thing, even though more and more in person is starting to happen. And, you know, if you don't feel, do whatever you feel comfortable doing. We're not saying not to, but, you know, for right now, I'm totally thinking, you know, if virtual is great, we just recorded for Earth Station Who. We did a panel, a virtual panel for Dragon Con that's going to be shown during Dragon Con. And Prior to that, we did one for Who Lanta. Exactly. So it's pretty darn awesome what you could do and everything. Uh, two things for my shout outs. Uh, first shout out is to our really good friend, Robert McIntyre. We want, hope you are home and recovering, my friend. He had heart surgery and he made it through with flying colors. Mm. And we mm-hmm. are so we very, Robert so much. we are so very happy to, you know, be able to continue to share your love <laughs> that it, you know, nothing bad has happened. And he's going to be, you know, out there jogging 15 miles at a time real soon. <laughs> he didn't do that before the surgery. He's certainly not going to do it afterwards. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's right. He's in the UK. It's kilometers. They, they, they no. didn't make him bionic. <laughs> but he's going to be going faster, stronger. Yeah. But no, it's pretty darn awesome. They caught the issue he had in time and, you know, they were able just to, you know, epilate the uh, part of his heart and very good and very happy for him that he is yes. going to pull through. And your your all our thoughts are with you, my friend. So also big shout out. Um Judy and I actually went to our first concert this last weekend. We went to our first one in fifteen saw live music for the first time in fifteen months. Wow. And yeah, so it's pretty amazing because we go to we usually go to concerts at least twice a month, you know, during non you know, pandemic era. And, Four times. Yeah, exactly. The time before, <laughs> as we like to call it. And this was our first shot at going to see a concert. It was socially distanced. It was outdoors. And uh, every person, you could not bring in your own food. You could not bring in your any anything bigger than like a small handbag. And you were, but you were able to bring in your chairs because it was out in out in a field, and it was a custom made stage just for this. And it was pretty amazing. We were at the, a place called the Caverns, and I think it's called Fellum, Tennessee, which is almost Manchester. It's like halfway between. Um, basically Chattanooga and Nashville. And it was amazing to see a concert again, to see, you know, music again. And it just made us feel a little back to normal. 
and it was it was beautiful because while we were watching the music, there was a thunderstorm on the other side of the mountain, and we were able to see the clouds. And I f- actually filmed a little bit of it to see the lightning in the clouds and everything. We didn't get any rain, any thunder, anything. We just got to see the lightning, which was pretty awesome during the music and everything. And I, to me, it was a sign of good things to come for all of us. So let's cross our fingers, be positive, and you know, hopefully we will have good things coming back to us. So, of course, you know, we will be back, as we said, as a bonus episode. We're going to be back later this week. So look for it in your social media feed. And then, of course, also in any kind of, you know, place you subscribe to us, you'll get this automatically. Um, You'll get part two of Angels in America. It's not going to be numbered um, anything different. It's going to have the same episode number and maybe an A after it. But it's going to be – it's part two. And it's probably going to be another hour of, or so of us just talking about it. So we just wanted to take care of that and everything. But we will be back with our regular episode next week. And we are going to be looking at the TV show Sweet Tooth. It was an amazing program on Netflix and based off the DC comic and blew everybody away. And it was a ton of fun. And we're looking forward to talking about it. But as we like to say, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Audible and Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Michael Gordon, and of course, Darren Noel and Mary Ogle. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Please get vaccinated, folks. We are slowly getting back to normal, and we we want to go full out. We want to get back to how things – I don't think everything's will get back to the way they were before, but it's going to be a new world. But you know what? Let's have fun doing it. So hug your loved ones and just take care of yourself. Peace, and we are done. Boom. Yay. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.